Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and with me for our weekend roundup of the news of the week, as usual, is editor-at-large from uh, CQ Roll Call, <laughs> John Bennett. And former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And today we got a lot to unpack, including the uh, uh, last second, well, last few days attempt to avert another government shutdown. The, uh, uh, well, the elections were Tuesday. We'll take a look at what those mean coming up. And of course, Biden is messaging on the latest Trump polls that show Trump leading in, a, in certain critical states. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is still on trial and has his tribulations and dealing with his own family members. There was a GOP debate this week that Donnie skated from. Uh, coming up this week, Joe Biden will be meeting uh, a Chinese leader in San Francisco, Xi, and we'll take a look at the presidential race a year away from it and what it looks like so far. A lot to unpack, so stick with us, and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, for this edition of Just Ask the Press. And as we speak here uh, late on a Saturday evening, we have just heard that uh, the wonderful Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has proposed a two-tier approach to keep the government from shutting down. And I'll just quote you from a, an article from, I think this is from the Post. When pitching this plan, Johnson mentioned he's only been on the job for a few weeks adding he wasn't the architect of the mess we're in, quote, sources familiar with the appeal said. And this article says Johnson is the same boat that sunk former Speaker Kevin McCarthy with a narrow majority that tests his leadership at every quarter of the Capitol. Absence a far-right revolt, a vote in the House would occur as soon as Tuesday. So as we take a look at it, Hakeem Jeffries and other Democrats have said they don't like a two-tiered approach. Some of the Republicans say they don't like a two-tiered approach. What the hell's going on, John? <laughs> That's a very good question, Brian. Uh, Speaker <laughs> Johnson has been floating this for a little while. This came out of, again, the most conservative uh, group of, of House Republicans. And it needs to be said over and over, of which he is a member. So he's going along uh, with with his ilk here. And um, it, it's, a, it's a bit unclear 
why they're now one thing they're trying to do here is give themselves some time to finish their remaining spending bills. They've passed, I believe, eight or nine out of the house. So the ones that the ones that would be covered under the longer of of the two funding streams here would give the house time to finish those fiscal 2024 appropriations bills. It just gives the house more time. Uh, the ones that are under the shorter funding stream, the house has already passed those, or they expect to pass those in the next few weeks. That said, this is a gamble for Johnson a, excuse me, because the Senate hates this idea. Let's just, yeah. you know, other than it a ain't going to pass. Other, other than, well, we don't know that yet. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Senate hates this other than, you know, a couple um, uh, very conservative Republican senators. The Senate wants to pass a very clean CR, which uh, continuing resolution, which they're likely to. Chuck Schumer uh, started the process to tee up a vote uh, sometime this week on a Senate version that would extend us a few weeks just before Christmas, and and then he wants to hurry along, finish the Senate's version of these uh, annual spending bills, um, and set up a conference with the House. Maybe they could finish it before Christmas. A big spending bill. Um, maybe they would kick it, you know, till after the holidays and try to wrap this up in January. Um, oh, by the way, the problem there with the Schumer and McConnell, Mitch McConnell is behind that strategy. The problem with the Schumer McConnell strategy. I never thought I would say that yeah. um, <laughs> is House conservatives don't want to do a massive spending bill, uh, colloquially known as an omnibus spending bill. Um, I was standing outside then Speaker McCarthy's office in June when Matt Gates, uh, Matt Rosendell and other conservatives said, we're not doing an omnibus. They hate those massive spending bills. They think Democrats sneak things into those. Um, they're too big, etc. So um, it's unclear how all of this works out. It's unclear, as you alluded to, Brian, if Speaker Johnson even has the votes for this two-tiered continuing resolution, because Chip Roy, a Republican of Texas, he's very conservative. He used to be a member of that very conservative faction. He's He's gone a little rogue uh, recently. He's kind of doing his own thing. If you think of professional wrestling, he is Sting. He's the renegade. And, but he's a key vote now because he's come out against this thing. And all and and it's unclear if, he, if, if Johnson would get any Democratic support for this. So he's lost Roy. He can only lose three more Republicans. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are three more Republicans in the House who don't like this thing. There are a lot of moderates, 18 in fact, who come from districts that they won in 2022, but Joe Biden won in 2020. So those are the ones to watch here. Do any of those moderates come out? And some of the conservatives who, let's just be honest, they came to Washington to vote no on just about everything. So I think Johnson is trying to assuage that very conservative faction. Um, but I, I just I just don't think he's going to have the votes for this thing. But then if he comes back with a very clean CR until 
December 13th or 15th or whatever. I don't think he has the votes for that either, unless he's willing to allow it to pass with mostly Democratic votes, the so-called Hastert rule. I'm still shocked Republicans call it that. Um, but then if he if if he violates the Hastert rule and allows Democrats to push a CR over the finish line, well, that was the final straw for Kevin McCarthy, and he got ousted. And I will end my filibuster with this. They did not change the motion to vacate threshold. It's still one member can trigger that on the floor. And there is no reason to believe that Democrats would not vote again as a block to oust Mike Johnson. And, you know, if the moderates have ha already had enough on the Republican side of, of the Johnson era, all it would take is a handful of moderate Republicans to vote with the Democrats. And we have another speaker race on our hand. So we could have a, we could, this, they could figure this out. a lot of ground there, brother. Yes. <laughs> and there's still a chance. There's still a chance that come Thursday, both chambers pass a three-week CR and there's no shutdown. There's a chance they pass very different CRs and there is a shutdown. And there's even a chance that there's a motion to vacate by the end of the week. Stay tuned. There, there we go, Michael. Well, I remain as confused as ever about what's going on <laughs> on Capitol Hill. I, I had a um, a moment where I resisted temptation. Very rare for me. I was <laughs> in, in my podcast. I was interviewing a guy about a book called Wasteland about our um, waste crisis, and he says, in talking about a landfill in New Delhi, that is essentially the size of a large country. It's it's an enormous thing, um, 70 meters high, 69 meters across. I mean, he said you can see it from space, essentially. And he says rhetorically, you can't imagine what it's like. There are people who work on the, on the mountain of garbage, picking out things. That's how they earn their living. Pickers, they're called. Um, he says you can't imagine what it must be like working on a pile of trash and picking out, you know, little nuggets of value. And I said to myself, no, I worked on the Hill for a year. I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> and and this, this um, is, you know, much of the same. It's a mountain of trash and people are, you know, picking out, you know, the little bits of copper wire that may have value. It, it, it is just mind boggling that they can't reach consensus on funding the government, especially given that we have a world that's on fire and a coherent government in the United States is perhaps among the best options for maintaining world peace. But these guys just can't figure out how to prioritize that which is important and that which is irrelevant. And they are just focused on the irrelevant at the expense of the important. It's not even a excellent is the uh, good is the and excellent. How you say it? excellent? Perfect is the enemy of good. He has an expression, right? Perfect right. is the enemy yes. of good. Right. Good enough um, sometimes just has to be good enough. Here they can't even get to uh, good. They're just stuck in multiple Mediocre. bad options two-tier funding of the government why to to what end um 
would you do something in two steps that you could do in one step? Well, and, and that's what the Democrats have said. And the question, all right, so the first bill, according to- I mean, unless, of course, Brian, unless, of course, because the first bill is defense and veterans and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the cynical uh, analysis is they're going to pass part one on the promise of taking up part two and then not take it up. Well, they and, would pass them both at the same time, I guess. it would. The first bill would extend funding until January 19th, and you're right, would include military construction, veterans affairs, transportation, and housing, as well as the energy department. Well, that's good because that, you know, that's nuclear weapons. Then the right. second part of the bill, uh, which would extend funding until February 2nd, would include funding for the rest of the government, but all of them are just stopgap measures, and even if you're going to pass the, the the first bill for military, it's only good through January 19th. It's it's just seems to me at the end of the day, it's a half-ass attempt to do the job. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, learning how to write, the, the teacher used to say, if you can say something in one word instead of two, use the one word. And yeah. similarly, so if you're you can saying pass- it's all if you can if you can pass a resolution that funds the government in one fell swoop, do it. Why would you do it in two in two steps? The notion that Republicans don't like omnibus bills because Democrats sneak stuff into it. Well, you know, that sort of implies that maybe their obligation is to read the damn bill before they <laughs> vote on it, which is something that I think is a minority um how dare position. you bring up logic and facts that <laughs> they pass bills and never they, they they just listen to what's that's what kills me is they just listen to what their colleagues say the bill is about and then they decide whether to pass it sometimes without ever having read it but that's mm-hmm. just me so that's what we're looking at another shutdown if this isn't under control by this the end of this week so that's huge. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah. One more thing. Uh, we had reporting, CQ Roll Call, uh, our ACE budget team had reporting this week uh, and others that there are senators who have never heard of this notion. And this is called a laddered continuing resolution. So on one rung, you pass like you laid out, Brian, uh, that's there in the post story, you know, four, five, yeah. six. And then on the second rung is everything else. So this is called a laddered CR. And there were there are senators, including veteran senators, including senators who are in leadership in both parties in the Senate, who have never heard of this. <laughs> and you have, you know, even some some veteran Republican senators saying um, that this is a terrible idea and this is no way to run a railroad, much less um, one of the biggest governments in the world. So, you know, I I don't think Chuck Schumer has has seen this quite yet. He probably hasn't digested it yet. Um, but, you know, Schumer is also someone to watch here um, and McConnell. And every now and then you get a joint statement from those two. And I wonder if tonight or tomorrow we we'll might see them. them come out together against this. That would be interesting. And that will lead us yeah, every to, now and then, every yeah, now and then. that that will lead us to another interesting week yes. on the Hill. So as we wrap that up, one thing we want to take a look at before we go to break is the other big issue of the week, and that was the elections. So 
the and the biggest part of that obviously was in Kentucky it was uh, Andy Bashir gaining re-election a democrat in a very red state mm-hmm. in Ohio they uh and and he was also one who vetoed some of the bills about abortion trying to defend abortion in the state of Kentucky in Ohio they put uh they protected abortion in the constitution state constitution and passed legal weed and in uh Virginia uh Yunkin who had said that he was going to go after a total abortion ban got turned back when uh both the house and the senate flipped democrat it's a term limited state so he'll never get his chance to uh pass a full abortion ban so it looks like women's rights and weed are at the top of the the the, the uh, uh uh department when it comes to votes this year but uh let's take michael how does this affect does does it does it mean anything except in those states uh with the the abortion issue well i think that what we saw is voters in suburban counties of um, many states, Kentucky, take Kentucky and the Cincinnati um, suburbs that that are right next to it. I mean, those voters overwhelmingly voted um, for a Democrat. The Ohio voters overwhelmingly voted um, for for choice. The Republicans lost the House and did not flip the Senate around the abortion issue. So the Analysis is that if the Democrats are able to run on the issues, sort of separated from the candidate, Biden, if they can run on the issues, they have a winning hand. If it's Biden and the issues, then I think the analysis is that Biden undermines the strength of the issues, that you need both a a candidate um, who is liked, and then the issues that underpin that candidate's campaign. And Biden from the New York Times-Siena poll and the CNN poll is not the preferred candidate by almost anybody. Um, the, The one silver lining for Biden is that when you look into the data in the New York Times-Siena poll, Almost all of the six states that, I think actually all of the six states that were polled where uh, Trump is ahead and they're the swing states, the answer to the question of if Trump were convicted, would that change your vote? And the answer was yes. Well, that that's if he's he's convicted, no, but it's an important thing yeah, as, we, as we'll roll into the legal discussion you see that he recognizes that a conviction in any of these criminal cases could well sink his campaign. And that's why he's so furiously endeavoring to delay the um, trials after the election, because at that point, it's it's too late. And who cares? John? I'm sorry, uh, Michael. I was I started thinking about that. Was the question change their vote in the primary or in the general? Yeah. Um, because here's if, the, here it says the question is, as it's described in the article, if the former president is convicted and sentenced, 
about 6% of the voters across Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin say they would switch their votes to Biden. Okay, I'm going to call it. I, I I don't believe that. I I, I they're going to vote for Joe Biden. I I just I over well what one of the one of these guys. Yeah, says, I mean I understand I understand what it says. Yeah, I understand what it says. But we no, know. No, what, I is. mean, just in in terms of the interview, it says um, I'm probably going to vote for Trump. But he's if he's convicted of a federal crime, I okay. just can't I just can't go there anymore. That's sort of the analysis. Okay. Um, I'm 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 going to side with um, with this bloodletting, bitter partisanship that we have. And if those folks are, are watching certain cable networks, um, you know, I'm sure some of them will change their vote to Joe Biden. I just don't think it's that high of a percentage. Well, my question is, what what do the Democrats? I'll tell you what I interviewed Danica Rome, who just uh, got um elected in Virginia. And she said, and this is something we can get into a little bit. I, I said, what should the Democrats learn from this, uh, from the votes? And she said, well, it's obvious that uh, women's rights matter. And what we, sh what the Democrats need to learn is that they're people upset with what's going on in the Middle East. And those people who believe that uh, Palestinian and Jewish uh, innocents are are being killed and harmed for no good reason are going to stay home and not vote. And so the biggest fear is that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I guess this election, according to her, shows us that women's rights are huge and they need to run on that. And we're getting the well, infrastructure yes. package. And the well, other thing is they need to be aware of what's going on in the Middle East. Well, here's here's part of the math problem for for Biden and Democrats right now. And and Tuesday's election results were again very good for Democrats. Um, you know, it, it's not necessarily that they've won five consecutive cycles, but if you look at 2022 and and there was no red wave in the House, um, you can make a case that Democrats have come out on the plus side for five straight cycles. The common denominator is that's when Donald Trump came on the scene. Now. Despite it all, and Brian, you and I were talking about this yesterday, um, and you put it more eloquently than I will. Wait a second, I, wait a second. You guys are talking secretly <laughs> without me? We're a cabal. Wait yeah, a second. We're a cabal. Wait a, cabal. a second. We were cabaling. We're, 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 we're a, a swamping Washington cabal. That's us. Oh, man. All right, go on. <laughs> Break my heart. Go on. Oh, no. Next time, I have to invite Michael. There you go. <laughs> you learned. Yeah. So, you know, I've reported on this and others have reported on this um, before. Um, I mean, this was five months ago that that I talked to some um, some activists from the black community and the and the Latino community and the polling that they had that had put out uh, jointly and together that Biden Biden had trouble with those two camps, which were part of his 2020 coalition since then. Um, Arab Americans are not happy with his response to uh, the Israel uh, Hamas war and and you know black voters are still upset Hispanic voters or Latino voters are still upset. Um, he's lost some traction in suburbia. So it's like an onion, right? Biden's coalition. And there's some layers. They're not necessarily off 
the onion, but if you've ever if you've ever uh, uh, sliced an onion, it's a down the onion, and, the, and those outer layers kind of, Bloom. you know, they're laying on the cutting board, but they're still connected. So they're still there, but now you know, how did one I wrong put move. that more eloquently? What was, what was it? Usually, I go with sports analogies. I'm, I'm trying to better myself, Brian. Oh, I'm trying but... to branch out a little bit. I'm trying to enrich myself as I get older. So they're still there. They're still keepable for Biden. But they're on the cutting board, so they could fall off at any moment. Now, where do they go? Now, Joe Manchin, we might get to this later, the the so-called moderate senator from West Virginia, so-called. Uh, the performative disruptor of all sorts of bills, is not going to seek re-election. Rumor is he's considering a third-party run. You've got Jill Stein, who's probably going to run in the Green Party. It doesn't take much... So Michael's point about Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, maybe North Carolina, but probably not. But maybe North Carolina you could throw in there um, and maybe one or two others. It doesn't take much. It wouldn't take much in the general for Stein and Manchin, if they're both still in it come Election Day, to peel off just enough of that onion from Joe Biden and Trump jacks up the Republican turnout, gets some independent voters to his side, and, um, well, Joe Biden's got a big math problem then. So I think the back-channeling to Manchin and Stein, if it didn't start Friday, boy, it needs to start soon to try to convince them, maybe in a second term, they have a seat at the table in a Biden administration, and maybe, maybe you don't want to run here. And I think the question to Stein and, and someone like Manchin is, do you really want to help put Donald Trump back in the White House? No, most cogent people don't, but that's a different issue. We're gonna- but, ego, but ego and ambition might overcome all that. And there is something that, there's something, Joe Manchin and Joe Biden, there's something there. Why would, <laughs> why would Manchin even continue to flirt with this? Because, is it just ego? Is it just ego? We don't know. Well, because he's, I, I think he's angling for a position. Yeah, I think you're right. Before we go to break, uh, last question, uh, uh, Michael, um, when we take a look at this, is there, the, the legal question that keeps popping up to me is, is if these states vote, right, and you make it and you shrine it in your constitution to protect abortion, that's one thing. But um Otherwise, it's not protected, right? It could, and even then, I mean, I guess it it'd have to go before voters again. But there's really no guarantees yet, and I go, I guess there can never be because hell, we had a Roe v. Wade for fifty years that that protected women's rights to choose, but that's all been changed. Yes, there's no guarantee left, is there? Right. Well, there's no federal right to um, choice. That's what. That's what the overturning of Roe yeah. resulted in. Uh, Roe v. Wade enshrined the women's right of choice into uh, the Constitution as a privacy right matter. And they, in Dobbs, reversed that with the notion that it would now then go to the states and that states would adopt laws determining what the right of access um, is and what reproductive rights mean in their states. In Col- in Ohio, the voters voted, I think it was 
56 or 57 percent of the of the vote said we want a right of choice enshrined in the constitution what it doesn't answer for me necessarily is what does that right of choice consist of yeah does it does it would it, for example it be consistent with a right of choice constitutional provision to have choice but capped at eight weeks or 10 weeks or 16 weeks. I mean, I don't know how the right of choice in a state constitution is um, evaluated, meaning let's say they said, yes, you have a right of choice, but you have to uh, terminate within one um, week of um, pregnancy. Well, no one knows necessarily that they're pregnant within one week. And they say, well, that's effectively no choice at all. And that might be right. declared unconstitutional. But if they took it out to 16 weeks with uh, life of the mother, rape, incest, um, carve outs, maybe then the courts say, yes, consistent with our constitutional right to choice, a 16 um, week ban um, is is constitutional. Sort of, you know, like like guns, you you have a second amendment second amendment right that doesn't imply that you can't put reasonable restrictions on on access so it's consistent with the second amendment and it's also consistent with you know common sense now how that gets interpreted state by state i just don't i just don't know brian but some states are not going the constitutional amendment route what they're doing is just passing statutes which say a woman's right of choice is defined by this statute. And most of them are very um, dr draconian if you are a supporter of choice. There you go. So on that thought, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Donnie's in trouble still. The trials and tribulations of Donald J. Trump. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karaman. With me, as always, editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And Michael, before we went to the break, uh, we were talking about the trials and tribulations of the right to choose but now Donnie is still in court this week, and um, man, I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, both, all three of his children, it, I don't even really know where to start with it. Sorry, that got me, Brian. That got me. All right, I'll 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 start it for you. Okay, well, let me throw this out. This is the part that that I I was I, hoping to avoid this part of the conversation. Yeah, I know. Will you, will you throw bad. something out? So, I'm going to throw this Damn. out. So here we are. We're sitting in court it's civil court mm. in new york don admits he signed the paper uh it's a summary judgment on on some of this that you know there was fraudulent activity 
all three of the kids said, Hey, uh, that was dad's bag. I, I had nothing to do with that. Dad signed the papers. He was responsible for the valuations. I didn't do it. He, I'm sorry, Brian. He also, uh, Donald Trump also admitted, I believe it was the Trump tower penthouse was overvalued. Yeah. So what are we doing? I don't know why we're covering. I don't know why I'm seeing him come out of the car, sit down. We've got video of him approach. It's like the, it's, it's like Alice's restaurant. We got the Northwest approach. We got the eight by 10 color glossy pictures with the circles and arrows. What a reference. Sorry, but Michael, what the hell's going on? So we need Judge Obi and the seeing-eyed dog. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> it's a typical case of an American blind to justice. That's, that's you ain't going to look exactly. at them 8x10s. <laughs> that's right. And all you kids who have been a clue what we're talking about, go listen to Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Those Restaurant are... Massacre um, with four-part <laughs> harmony. Four-part harmony. There you go. So, and and you'll and you'll figure it you'll you'll figure it out. You know, if people on listening to this podcast learn nothing substantively, at least they'll get some cultural references, you know, that they can refer to at um, you know, cocktail parties or something with, right. with adults. How'd you know about Alice's restaurant? Well, I heard it somewhere. I don't yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. So the civil trial in New York starts anew on Monday, unless of course the judge grants Trump's motion for a uh, directed verdict, meaning ending ending the case, which he has taken under advisement, but it's very unlikely that that will happen. So barring lightning striking and the judge dismissing a case that he's already ruled summary judgment for part of, the Trump kids will start Monday with Don Jr. being the, the first witness. And it'll be a very interesting thing since in the testimony where they were called as a hostile witness by uh, the attorney general, they mostly had amnesia, uh -huh. except when it was convenient. But it'll be interesting to see whether medical science has created a cure for amnesia when they go on the stand again on direct testimony on behalf of the Trump defense, because they've admitted essentially I know nothing. It's, you know, the Sergeant Schultz from right. Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing. Um, defense. It was the accountants or somebody other than me. Leave me alone. So when they get called on direct exam by Trump's attorneys and their own attorneys, because the, the two boys are on trial too, what is it that they add that doesn't create an inference that the first time around they were dissembling or being untruthful? So it's a little bit tricky to figure out what they say and why they didn't say it before and have their attorney on cross-examination bring out whatever they wanted to bring out on what will be their direct testimony. But it goes forward. They still have to prove six counts in this case. They gave partial judgment, summary judgment on one, but there is false documents, conspiracy to submit false documents. There are a batch of of um, substantive and conspiracy accounts uh, that attend to this trial still, and that has to be tried. And so we're going forward to get two, two questions answered essentially, which is, are they, who if anyone is gonna be guilty of um, fraud on the six remaining counts? And irrespective of that, what will be the amount of 
disgorgement or financial fine that will be issued against the organization based on the partial summary judgment order that already has been entered. And I'd say all this, Brian, which leads me to what I think is going on here, principally, which is that the Trump team is trying to create a record for an appeal. I think they were really egging on the judge to try to get him to commit reversible error. They have proposed three expert witnesses. The state has said they're not needed. You've already resolved that. The judge said, you know what? I'm going to let him in anyway, um, because I think he has to be very careful that he create a record that's defensible on appeal, because that's what this is at this point all about, because they've already lost the liability part of it in the summary judgment ruling. Now, so we've got also- a lot of stuff, a lot of very complicated lawyering decisions here. What do the kids say? What does Donald uh, Trump Sr. say on the on the witness stand in their, in their own defense? What sort of record are they creating for themselves about the summary judgment or the remaining six counts? All that stuff is, is pretty dicey um, stuff. And the judge has got to walk a, you know, a very tight um, tightrope to make sure that the defense gets a fair shot at presenting its defense and not being curtailed um, like the summary judgment motion did, which will result in an appeal and a reversal in an appeal. Well, let me ask you this. The um, When you're talking about the other six charges, this is all going on concurrently, right? There's not going to be a separate yes. case, right? This is no. This, this is, is all going on of, right now. Right. And there are two things they, going on right now. Part of it is the, the they're taking evidence related to the um, fines, and part of it is evidence related to conviction or, you know, findings of liability on the six things, and then whatever fines attend to those if there's a finding of judgment. Right. And the point that I was trying to make in all that is that it's all in front of the judge. This is not a jury trial. Correct. So, there is there is no is no jury trial requested by Trump. And it's not clear had they requested it, whether this type of case, which is sort of a unique case, um, and a, a jury trial, a jury trial, if requested, would have been available given. to him. But regardless, right. Trump's team did not ask for one. OK, so that leads me back to <laughs> even though and uh, well, do you want to uh, talk a little uh, before I go forward, because I'm going to get right into something that I know John's going to want to jump in on. And But do you want to is there anything else you want to bring us up to date on the felony stuff before I go forward? Well, yeah, the OK, um, the Mar-a-Lago documents case, the judge has issued an order saying that for now, she is not going to delay the May trial date for that case. What but does that mean? It, what, what that means is that the trial date remains at the moment where it is. However, she has acknowledged in her little order that there are lots of things there that could make that trial date uh, impossible. And she listed a, a few of them, like having adequate time to prepare, uh, dealing with the volume of um, classified information, evidence and access to it and what the nature of that access um, is. So she has basically said, I'm gonna slip some of the motions schedules in between now and May. And, we'll, and then we'll just see how that, how that plays out. And she says, I think properly, 
in this part of her order that if he's in trial, Trump, uh, for a March trial date on the January 6th case, then it just might not be possible because they may still be in trial in May, or it might not be fair to have him be in trial in March, have it end two days before the May trial date is to begin and have him be required to go down to Florida and start a, a brand new trial. That I think she might be right to say, we have to be mindful of the need to prepare, especially when there's some overlap in the lawyers who are defending these cases. But right now, May stays still. It's still the trial date. March in the January 6th case is still the trial date. They are battling over some motion stuff in the January 6th case, like they are in the Mar-a-Lago case, to try to delay it. And as I said, earlier segment, because they recognize that if that polling is correct, that a conviction could be sort of the October surprise that that sinks the Trump um, campaign, which if it does, then we're going to end, and if Biden remains in, then we're going to be welcoming President Nikki Haley probably um, in, in, in January. <laughs> and there's too many plates moving to even go there yet. But, but the point, when we talk about the Mar-a-Lago case, does it surprise you that she ruled that way because she's been seen as a very favorable judge for 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 Don? Judge Cannon is perceived as a, depending on who you're asking, of course, yeah. but as a um, political judge acting in the worst traditions of political judges. Now. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is saying that she's bending over the backward, bending over backwards properly to ensure that Donald Trump has a fair trial and that he's got, you know, adequate representation. Um, effective assistance of counsel would be the the way you would say it in in law talk. And so, you know, you can just pick them inside which way you like. I think I have some problems with her analysis of the Classified Information Procedures Act. Uh, stuff where the government historically has been allowed to give summaries. Right. She seems to be saying, no, we want to see the whole thing. So there may be a fight around um, the SEPA, as they call it, the classified information stuff. But right now, she, I don't think she's completely out of bounds. Um, okay. So the Trump haters think she should have been recused from day one, but they've not articulated a factual basis for recusal other than we don't like her and that's yeah. not a basis for recusal no okay so, so in the same way that trump tried to have judge chutkin in the january 6th trial exactly recused and and she said no thank you and the courts that reviewed that said not necessary so you know it's the dershowitz rule of if, if it you know fits for one foot, it's got to fit for the other foot, and you can't yell that Cannon is a political ideologue and should be off, and Chutkin is, you know, pure as the driven snow. You just can't do it that way. No, no, I agree. So here we are. We're taking a look at his, his. he's got all this going on, and here's where we're leading up to you, John. So he's got all this in civil court. He could lose $250 million. Um, Michael Cohen thinks it'll be more. He could lose his freedom. He's facing 90, 91 felony charges in four different jurisdictions. All of this starts. He's been impeached twice, been found liable being a fraud and rapist in civil court. And yet, in some of the latest polls, he's still ahead of the 
of the current president in some swing states. Now, coming out to the uh, sticks and talking to us yesterday and or Thursday, I guess it was, um, he, he said that, you know, you all are looking at the wrong polls. I've got better poll numbers than you. And but backstage has been something else. And you've written about that, John. There was a pen and pad that, you know, meeting with reporters. What is it that the administration is trying to tell everyone that it's not getting across when it comes to this? Where do I start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you from... just heard all the all the crap that, that I mean, Michael just laid it out there with all the crap that Trump is facing. Yeah. How in the hell can he be ahead? Anyway, right. anywhere. Well, I want to add one thing to uh, Michael's assessment, which I think was spot on about uh, the the civil trial in Manhattan with the business, the Trump businesses and the fraud. Um, I I really thought that the former president's testimony was intended to. And I don't think there's any other way to say it. I don't know what the legal term for piss off is. But it was just intended to piss off the judge um, to maybe coax him into giving Trump and the and the family businesses the stiffest possible sentence that then they could on appeal argue, well, this isn't fair. He just doesn't like us very much. So Trump was just trying to egg him on in his testimony that that Not was my don come on we've never seen trump do that <laughs> right which I... is which which is trump 101 it's vintage trump yeah <laughs> um so i wasn't surprised by that in the least there was a lot of hand wringing and shock from our colleagues but i mean what did you expect guys come on well um, our colleagues hang uh, like to wring their hands and gnash mm -hmm. their teeth <laughs> right okay now back to the question of i believe what you're asking me brian is how the heck could joe biden the guy who passed infrastructure, who right. um, he's he's passed other bipartisan uh, legislation, jobs bills, um, you know, a clean energy bill that that his own people, progressives and Democrats should be giving him credit for uh, American people. Average people should be looking at the uh, the infrastructure bill, which passed both chambers bipartisan vote results. Um, and you're know, going to fix roads and bridges and airports and tunnels and et cetera. And he should be getting more credit for all this from various voting blocks. And he's just not getting credit really from big numbers of any voting block right now. His, his poll numbers never really have gotten over 43. I think, I believe they're hovering in the high thirties again. Um, and he, again, he's not getting credit Except for in Texas and they're in the high ones. Well, there you go. <laughs> and probably Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, yeah, right. et cetera. Uh, South Carolina, Georgia, not Georgia. Uh, anyway, so what I heard at the pen and pad that I went to at the White House um, and other things that, you know, other calls I've been on and and just listening to, you know, what little we hear from the Biden-Harris campaign, and especially at the pen and pad at the White House on, um, God, what day was that? I believe that was Thursday. Thursday. Was, um, it's all one day. It all runs together. I, I, is, I, yeah. is, is we are... We're message wise, we're we're holding back right now. And that's because the, a calculation in Biden world that voters aren't paying that close of attention right now. And B, they want to see how these trials go with Trump. They want to see if 
if these trials will somehow, add, to Michael's point with the polling data he was reading earlier, um, the, the trials kind of disqualify Trump eventually. And, you know, vote and voters aren't paying attention. But when all of this plays out a little more and it should start playing out in, in mid spring or, or thereabouts, then we'll really hit hard, as as this official said, telling the story. And then voters will be getting more, more and more serious about the election and about the decision they'll have to make, which we as we sit here right now is Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And once voters get serious and listen to our story and see Trump in all his legal trouble, maybe convicted, maybe almost convicted, they'll come around and they'll all, not all of them, but in significant enough numbers, especially in those six or eight states that I know I sound like a broken record about, enough of them will come around to President Biden's side, will win, will win re-election. They'll give him credit for infrastructure. They'll give him credit for the inflation bill. They'll give him credit for everything. They'll give him credit for maybe avoiding World War III in the Middle East, helping Ukraine. And we might just eke this thing out, but Donald Trump will never be the president again. And it's almost like two accidents. They're, 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 they're expecting this poor PR. <laughs> no, it's not PR. Well, it is PR. It is. It's, it's piss poor PR. It's, I mean, it's a piss poor strategic PR. Yes. I can't get over. I mean, Michael, we've talked about this. And they're expect I'm sorry, they're expecting these two axes to eventually meet and voters enough. That's a hell of a gamble. That's a hell of a gamble. I wrote in my newsletter, and and this is the last thing. I wrote in my newsletter that in this in in the oversaturated media and disinformation country that is America, it is a hell of a gamble to expect these axes to magically line up. In your favor. Well, and look, we've been sitting at Michael. We were just talking about Trump. I'm sitting here watching Donald Trump get out of a car that that passes for news. Why? Why? Why can't I at least see a sign on the federal highway that says your federal tax dollars at work like I used to growing up? Why isn't the Biden? I think the biggest problem the Biden administration has is they are waiting for this magical alignment and they're not trying to at least tell us what the hell it is that they're doing. Uh, uh, Michael, your your thoughts on it? I, I well, we've we've talked about this ad yeah. nauseum, and I, my answer remains consistent, which is he needs to be out there. I keep saying, a la Harry Truman in 1948, where he crisscrossed the country. Truman did on a train, just talking to average voters, saying, "This is what I'm doing for you. This is what I have done for you. This is what I will do for you." Because to go back to our reproductive rights um, conversation and the, the results on Tuesday, it appears that the Democrats have the stronger hand on a matter of in great importance to over 50% of the electorate. And they need to play that hand. And they also need to play their infrastructure, what it's gotten for them. Now, the economy is still... Um, a bit overheated. The, the stock market is doing well lately. The jobs numbers are still consistently good. Inflation is higher than it should be. As you know, my view is that that's because of price gouging. If you look at the profits that the oil companies have made this past year, they're astronomical. Yeah. Uh, and um, yet our gas prices are higher than, than should be sort of allowed. 
uh, you know, uh, I'll go with allowed. Favor, I'll, I'll say that <laughs> I sometimes favor um, price controls or wage and price controls, you know, but more weight and more price than wage. Yeah. Um, and but so they just have to get out there and sell their story. But to John's earlier point, which is to his onion point, which is that there are, you know, there, this was a coalition that was, you know, sort of put together with, you know, chicken wire and duct tape. It's it's not a, you know, solidly right. founded right. coalition. Yep. And there was as much an anti-Trump, anti-pandemic um, right. uh, uh, response. And so the question is, can they keep it together? And I think that the wishful right. thinking of the, the Biden administration is, if it comes back to us versus Trump again, those same themes will carry us um, right. across yep. the finish line. This data seems to indicate that people have concerns about his age and they have concerns about the economy. Those are yes, two absolutely. sort of yes, those I'm, are two I'm sort Michael. of right. <laughs> those are two sort of branding issues. Right. You know, if you're branded as too old, you know, if you're Al Gore and you're branded as a, a liar or you're uh, John Kerry and you're branded as a swift uh, boat, swift boat fraud, you know, mm -hmm. or Michael Dukakis in in the the tank. Once you get branded, it's really hard to undo that brand. And I think the Republicans have been working. Unless you're Donald really, Trump. Well, no, yes, that's true. But but what I'm saying is the Republicans have been working very hard since day one, hitting the age question. Now, the difference between Biden's age and Trump's age is minuscule, minimus, and they both make a whole lot of flubs on the campaign trail. Yet. The mantra is Biden is too old and and Trump isn't, and mm -hmm. that's a big problem. They gotta they gotta turn that narrative around. Um, if the, if it's if it's doable, it may be too late. That may have passed. Um, that horse may be out of the barn, and they they have, may have passed on that opportunity. Then they're then they're left with the issues, and most predominantly, the economy is stupid. And can they? say that the economy is improving and will be improved because of our policies and don't have this romantic um, view of what the economy was like under Trump, because in some sense, the economy that we're in now is the result of Trump's economic policies, just like George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush inherited a horrible economy from Reagan and, and he, it, cost him, it cost him the second term. Yeah, it did. Uh, Not to mention Ross Perot. But. Yeah. Uh, before we go to break, last thoughts, John. Yeah, one one point, uh, building on what Michael said, uh, there was a poll out this week from a new uh, polling firm uh, called Blueprint, and and voters in that poll, and you know this was tens of thousands of people, is a very very expansive poll. Is it, it, the conclusion was voters are frustrated that Biden. You know, he talks about Bidenomics, whatever that is, and he talks about you know the economy and Bullshit these terms, right? And and he talks about jobs a lot. He talks about union jobs, um, but what they want him to focus more on and talk about more publicly, to Michael's point, is getting prices down, is getting at inflation, and it's you know it's not in every sense that prices are still going up. It's that they haven't come back down to pre-inflation levels, right? And the administration seemingly, 
I mean, I mean, yeah, they're going after junk fees. Um, I mean, you know, I booked a trip recently. Yeah, I, I, I think we can all get behind that. Um, but they, they don't seem to be doing much at all to to bring prices down again to to where they were, or even halfway to where they were before uh, this bout of inflation. And the blueprint poll said that's what that's what voters want to hear, especially independent voters. They want the president to tell, this is what I'm doing to get prices of eggs and gasoline and and travel and just about everything, milk, back to where it was. And they don't hear the president saying that, and they're very frustrated. That's a problem. His age is a problem. He can't do anything about his age. He can be self-deprecating about it. He can own it. We saw a couple times this week. Well, that's what that. Reagan did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Someone uh, someone in an audience uh, this week, the president was giving a speech and this happens. These venues are hot. The TV lights. You've been there forever. You're standing up. I think someone kind of passed out and and Biden made sure they were OK. And then he said, I want the press to know that wasn't me. Yeah. It fell out. So you can do that and own it and acknowledge it. Um, and number two this this campaign number one the white house is a little too worried about the hatch act because you know they saw they saw sarah sanders and kaylee mcenany as walking examples of the hatch act now yes they were probably they were violating the hatch act from the white house podium every day but that's a different story these guys have overcorrected what this campaign is going to need are some talkers to go on tv and then you go on TV and you defend the president. You make the case you attack the opponent really hard on all the democracy, January 6th, overturning the election, all of that stuff. They need talkers. And then that gets clipped and shared on social media. Right now, one thing I think the Biden-Harris campaign is really lacking are talkers. Effective well, hell, we can't even get them out of the only one that comes out and talks right. to us is John Kirby. So that's, yeah, right. that's it. So, yeah, that's right. yeah we've I'm, said I'm, that I'm not talking about Kirby at the podium in the I briefing. know what. No, I mean, I'm talking about on the sticks, out on the shows and no, no, everywhere else. I'm, I'm talking about people affiliated with the campaign, not the yeah. White House, yeah. who were yes. freed, who were freed from this Hatch Act overcorrection. Who yeah. can they're attached to the campaign. They can say whatever the heck they want. As yeah, and I'm just saying that we yeah. don't expect that's what they're that. going to need. That's what they're going to need. Yeah, but don't expect that because the administration <laughs> only gives us Kareen and and John. Sometimes together, sometimes John out on on the lawn. We're going to take a short break, and I want you to keep something in mind as we come back. Um, we've got a couple things to talk about, but there's one thing that we kind of skated around, and let's talk about it when we get back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen, with our weekly news roundup. Just Ask the Press. And I don't really think we can, I, I can anyway. I've just two uh, beeps on my uh, phone as we're 
talking about this. So West, on, in the West Bank, Palestinians face increasing restrictions. Settler violence as the Gaza war escalates. Uh, people are fleeing, trying to flee. Uh, finally, um, you have uh, Israel uh, agreeing to a four-hour cessation of activities, war activities every day to put in supplies or take people out or get hostages or whatever. And at the same time, um, there's been an increase in, uh, well, anti-Semitism across this country and Islamophobia. And I, are we doing anything, is, are we involved in this in the wrong way? Or we, is our government doing something wrong when it comes to what's going on in the Middle East? Michael, I'll let you have the first crack at it. It's so complicated, Brian, and there is no right answer. There is human tragedy on both sides of the um, fight. If you look, if you can go online and find the videos of what Hamas did in Israel, yeah. um, you'll just not understand how people could be so inhumane as to decapitate people with shovels, kill their children in front of their parents. I mean, it's, and 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 doing it pridefully, yeah. um, pridefully bragging. Uh, it, it's, it defies any understanding that I have of, of, of human beings. On the other hand, the, the assault on Hamas in Gaza City is leaving way too many people dead and, and injured. Um, but I don't know how, if you are facing an enemy, Hamas, who's entrenched underground, and maybe they're under hospitals, maybe they're under schools, maybe they're just underground, and you know that they still believe that they have to annihilate Israel and kill Jews from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, um, then how do you not pursue that fight? How do you create a pause um, or a ceasefire when all apparently knowing analysts say that a ceasefire will just allow Hamas to, to rearm to rearm and re reconstitute themselves? That's what the White House has told us every day. And so, but if you're in a if you're in an existential struggle, because Hamas does not believe in a two-state solution, the PLO does, and Abbas, you know, is could be an important player um, for peace. But if Hamas doesn't believe in that, and therefore you don't have a, a, a partner uh, in peace, and that person who you're warring against has declared, you know. The end of you. Think about it in you know, German Germany terms. Yeah, I do get you, it. Do you do you have a ceasefire? You know, to allow the the, the Nazis to re regroup, um, or do you just continue to pursue the war? Well, the, here's, you know, the Allies decided to pursue the war. They didn't. Yeah. Well, here's the didn't question. Have any well, ceasefires. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's the question, though. You know, and I, I began it asking about our government, and this is what I, I, I want to get at the nub of. You have, if you listen to Danik and you listen to other Democrats out in the field, Biden is, and we've been talking about Biden and Trump all hour, 
and 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 a shutdown and how fucked up the government is and how we're facing all these these trials and tribulations there are um arab americans muslim americans who are upset with biden by standing by israel and i'm not saying that it's wrong to stand by israel in fact i think it's right to stand with an ally so but how do you convince them not to stay at home? And does that mean that the government is doing its best job? And this is just because of a matter of principle, you're going to have to stick with it. Or are there extenuating circumstances that we need to take into consideration? That's the question, Michael. That yeah, it, and 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 I and I don't does that know. make and sense I'm, to you? Yeah, but I've never really felt comfortable sort of telling Israel what I, I'm not either. Yeah. No, no, I, I'm saying, but that's, it puts us in. But, but isn't it the United States responsibility to also tell Israel what not to do? Well, yeah. Or well, that they, people, can, they can, yeah. they can, they can, Good point. Reason, they can. And I think that's out, already they, happening, by the way. Yeah, and it is. Oh, but, I you think know, it is too. That's why we got the four hours. Yeah. yeah well, that's right. And I, and I, and I, I think that the administration well, well, deserves enough credit for it but i mean you've got you've got a big problem here like netanyahu has recently said that um once this war is over he would not support the palestinian authority um uh, abbas taking charge of gaza again mm-hmm. so yeah. if if so if the plo is not going to the palestinian authority is not going to take over gaza if you're not going to have a unified government between the west mm-hmm. bank and gaza yeah how, how do you make how do you make peace and well, i don't I know if we would question. accept that would we well i don't know what we i don't know yes again I, don't know I mean it's kind have. of against the two state i mean we supported what choice would solution. what choice would biden have none i mean you'd, you'd, at some point in time the only leverage you would have over uh israelis is what withholding aid well, maybe, but but you know, Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, has said that when the war is over, because Blinken keeps asking the Israelis, so what's the plan once the war is over? Yeah, what's, we keep asking that too. <laughs> right, and, and you know, it, I, as you said, as I've said, I think on this show, I sort of favor a Marshall Plan. I think that they really need to go the two-state route, and then they need to put in massive amounts of monies to rebuild. Gaza and 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 create a viable economy, um, and Blinken seems to say the same thing. He keeps saying mm-hmm. that uh, he they are suggesting to the Israelis that the Palestinian Authority could play a role in a future two state peace deal if Hamas is not part of the government. And so I think they're doing the they're doing what they can do, yeah. and Israel is you know sort of intent on eliminating. You know, Hamas as a threat, whether that's a realistic goal, I, I just don't know. John? But what does that mean? And what does that look like operationally and strategically? Well, that's what I don't know. That's yeah, why that's nobody why knows. that's why I nobody knows. We, I don't we, think Netanyahu knows. No. Well, we damn sure don't. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. They're underground. I understand that. Um he used some heavier uh, munitions, Netanyahu, the last few weeks. Which suggests the heavier munitions, easy for me to say, suggests 
that he's trying, they penetrate further into the ground. So that suggests to me he's trying to get at the tunnel system. Well, let me ask you this about a ceasefire. Can Couldn't Netanyahu use that to his advantage? If Hamas has to come up out of the ground to get these resupplies that Netanyahu is clearly understandably worried about, and you, but you've told us for 20 years you have the best intelligence service in the world. So if they have to come out of the tunnels to get new rockets or new components for rockets or new fuel for rockets or new launchers, wouldn't you see them? Well, I, I be think able to John, follow them and maybe what? even take them out because it's not like you can't violate a ceasefire if you see bad guys above ground. Well, did you see? Here's the question I have: Did you see the uh, BBC story that talked about how uh, there were people who lived in Gaza in Al Zahra, a middle class area in the north of the Gaza Strip that had been largely untouched by airstrikes, right? They get phone calls saying, hey, we're going to bomb you in about two hours, get everybody out of there. And they're making phone calls to private citizens and getting them out and then bombing the hell out of it. So, and they're going, why are you bombing us? We're just a neighborhood. You don't see what we see is what one yeah. of the answers was. Well, my question is, if you're this is the fog of war, I mean, this this, yeah, this conflict I, I, is the definition of the fog of war. It definitely. But my question is, if your intelligence is so good that you know that they're there in the building and where, how the hell did you miss the fact they dumped all that stuff on you on October 7th? And and I think and that how did you miss that they were stockpiling exactly. tens of thousands of rockets? I, I, I don't understand. You talk about the fog of war. Nothing that comes out of this to me makes any logical sense and i i don't even understand i i'm I, I mean i'm not the military expert i'm just looking at it and going all right right you've got two aircraft carriers and a nuclear sub in the area and you say we're not involved but we're getting shot at every day and, and right and a marine to me we're in the middle of a war and, but, a, and a marine special ops unit on loan to the israelis yeah and you wonder where they are. That's they're the mm. ones looking in the, in the you know they're they're looking in the tunnels right now. They call marine snake eaters for a reason, don't they? Yeah. I so I just I I I don't know that we're hearing any of the truth from anybody about what's going on over there. Oh no 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 no. And our government, you Brian, I'm maybe to put a bow on this. You ask, is the U.S. government doing the right thing? I think right now. It would be unreasonable to to expect, you know, that that the U.S. government is is getting it right or anything close to right in a conflict like this. They're just trying to keep the lid on this the best they can. Yeah, and I think that's reason. That's a reasonable expectation. I don't. If they can if they can prevent a broader conflict and this thing winds down in in three or four months. You know, I'm that's a a huge of, there are a lot of casualties on both sides, but if Biden can keep this, they don't like it when you say contained. You know that better than me, Brian. Yeah, if, I asked it's limited to where it is now. <laughs> it doesn't go to the West Bank. It doesn't go to Lebanon or beyond. We don't get in a shooting war with Iran. I think that's a I, I think for folks like us, it's a victory for Biden. I don't know how American voters would would judge. Well, it. I think it's a victory for the world. I'm just yes. I, again yes. It, yes. being able to. And I know, as John said in the briefing room, when I asked the question, he doesn't like the word containment. But if it's not expanding, you're containing it. Right. So that's, right. That's, right. I mean, I, I hate to 
hate to burst your bubble there, but you know, that same thing to me, difference that makes no difference is no difference. But I just to, to kind of point out, and I don't think that the American government is necessarily, I I think they our government and the military does what our government and the military always does when our government and the military are engaged in an operation. They slowly give us the information and try to keep a lot of it from us as long as they can. But I, I don't think they've ever necessarily been in the job of, you know, a whole wholesale making up numbers because they know that they'll be checked on at some point in time. Whereas Hamas and and I don't know, I, I don't I don't know. So with all that fog of war, I don't know what the hell's going on over there, other than the fact that we have two aircraft carriers uh, groups and a nuclear sub. And we're getting shot at every day. So, and, and as you as you said in our super secret meeting yesterday, we're shooting back. Yeah, we're shooting back. Yeah, it's, we're not as just watching said, the bullets go like by. <laughs> we're going. No, we're going to no, shoot back. <laughs> we're striking. And Tim Scott, a senator from South Carolina in the Republican debate the other night, criticized Biden for uh, just bombing warehouses in Syria. But you know, I would posit to the senator. Do you know how many rockets you can store in a warehouse? Yeah, it it I, I believe shitload is or Kalishnikovs. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a reason that you but, take out a storage facility. So, Michael, when you look at it, and we're we're sitting there looking at what's going on, and we and we don't know. I I, I mean, have you ever felt this type of trepidation before? For me, there's only, I think we've gone back to this before. It's 1968 for me that seemed like, but this seems, I don't know if this is is worse. Yeah, it's very hard to know. And I, I think, you know, when you post the video, when it's ready to go online, and you always put a little um, tease, I think the tease here is Zeldin, Bennett, Karam admit they know nothing. <laughs> Finally, 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 they tell the truth. They hey, I start out that way every morning. I don't know shit <laughs> because, because it, it's it's you know it's it's um I, I don't know the, shit, and I'm it, going to the White House where I won't learn shit. So it's Casper Weinberger's um unknown unknowable, you know, yeah, un, that's un, unknown unknowables, and and that's what we are yeah. in in some sense. They are yeah. it these are unknowables um from where we sit. And there may be half a dozen people in in the world that know what's going on in Gaza, and they're not talking, obviously. And so all we can do is, you know, the best we can do to contain it and try to bring uh, humanitarian aid um, as best we can. But I don't think we can tell uh, Israel to, to stop a war that they think is an existential threat to their um nation state i just don't think we we can we can do that well i mean um, how would we feel if canada well, told us at the beginning of world war ii oh, that's enough of you know i know that japan bombed you but hey give it up you know? right so <laughs> in answer to your question though brian i remember as a kid um during the time that barry goldwater was running for president they were putting all those ads on the tv about the um nuclear bomb the, yes I remember the, uh, the the date was a daisy. What was the um, the little girl pulling the um, yeah, pulling the daisy out of the flower? Right, right pulling the, the, the petals out of the out of the flower of the as, we're, as a as a nuclear 
countdown is going on simultaneously and then there's the bomb. That was pretty scary. And I never quite understood why if I put my head against the locker or under the desk, I would be safe from nuclear um, holocaust. But I don't know uh, why I know. had to sing duck and cover while I did it, but we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I don't I think. Mean, yeah. Sorry, Michael. I was, I'm just saying that, that that was a scary time for me, but I was a kid. And right now, this is a scary time and I'm still immature, but not young. Yeah, I'm I'm still a kid. Just ask anybody. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just I don't you know, the, the progressive left in America, yes, is telling Israel to stop. But I, the point of more moderate or, or perhaps reasonable or strategic or geopolitically strategic folks, I think it's not that that the U.S. should tell Israel to stop. There was a, a former Pentagon battle damage assessment analyst quoted in the Washington Post last weekend, and his conclusion, and he had done targeting in assistance of Israel in a past conflict, and he said just based on, you know, what he can pick up on open source satellites and, you know, what the Israelis are saying, they're firing and 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 everything is they are indiscriminately in some cases firing rockets into Gaza that these aren't the targeted strikes that they're describing. And then he uses the, the heavier munitions and, and that says something else. So that's what my point is. That's the healthy role. The U S the French, the Brits and others can play here is, you know, Mr. Prime minister, don't just knock down, apartment buildings because you feel like you need to do something be a little more targeted here and again you say you have the best intelligence service then then use it smartly i i think that's what the more strategic parts of 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 the u.s apparatus is trying to tell netanyahu not stop we everybody wants hamas eliminated they they, they can't be after what they did I think that's the message, and and I think sometimes there's so an overreaction. The message is we want Hamas dead. Sure, but we want you to do it a little in a little more peaceful fashion. We won't, but we won't, we want innocent Gazans less dead. Yeah, that's I get. I want innocent everyone's less dead. And Same Hamas, here. And here's the I thing. understand why I and and yeah, we we want to support the Israelis, and this can never happen again. But it doesn't mean that an you know, an eight-year-old Gazan girl who has nothing to do with this needs to die. No, it, the problem is strategically, how do you remove? And I don't know that any of us have this answer. Certainly it, it's being bandied about it at levels higher than the three of us. But, yeah. and this is There's what, a, this is what- there are, there are levels, wait a second, there are levels <laughs> higher than the three of us? Oh, well. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to help. <laughs> so here's right. the deal you you have 50 and this you know they had to sit down and look at the numbers Fifty thousand hamas fighters buried within a city of two million people and they're holding those people hostage how do you get them out how do you jackhammer yeah. them yeah i mean if you had fifty thousand assassins i guess you could go in and just do it that way 
But was there a more, I I guess the term is surgical. Is there a more surgical way to remove the Hamas cancer from the body politic? That's where they're at. And I, I don't think that from the actions that we've seen that the leaders in any country have figured out a way to make that happen. Or at least we haven't seen the results of that if they have. What we do see is continued devastation and uh, destruction to the point where people don't think they'll be able to uh, live there after this is over with. And, um, and you know, you're going to have to have a Marshall Plan to build it back, I guess. And that's, that's where that's where the other Arab states need to step up. You know, this can't just be Israel or 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 the uh, what is it now? The 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 PLA. It it can't yeah. just be a. It can't be either Netanyahu or whoever comes after Netanyahu if he is, uh, re, if he did the is forced from from office. It can't be the Israeli Prime Minister or Abbas. The other yeah. Arab states have a role to play here, and let's be frank. Have they ever really stepped up and helped here? I won't be Frank. I'll be Brian and say the answer is no. But with that, we're going to, we have, we have solved the world's ills. There's Once again, we've done it. Without us, man, I'm telling you. So, Michael, where can we get you, brother? Plug away. So the podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book-based podcast, and it appears almost every week on all of your favorite and less favorite podcast apps. And John? Well, we've got a government shutdown coming maybe uh, at the end of the week. So check out CQ Afternoon Briefing uh, newsletter uh, Tuesday through Thursday and my weekly column on rollcall.com on Friday. And be sure to, if you're not a CQ subscriber, if you're not a CQ subscriber, be sure to follow along for all the shutdown drama uh, and rollcall.com, our budget team will be all over it all week. The name of this is Just Ask a Question, and congratulations to all of you. I just found out from our producer that we are on among the top 30 of uh, podcasts on Good Pods. So thank you, Good Pods, for for the uh, for the plug and for everybody who stick, sticks around and listens to us as we pontificate blindly on the fate of the world. To good music. <laughs> Good sports, good football. Not blindly, I hope not completely. Blindly to good football and good music. <laughs> and, and as Bob Dylan said, even you know who has to stand naked. So, and and that's not Michael, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> the name of the podcast again is called Just Ask the Question. You can catch me at salon.com every Thursday and wherever fine podcasts and books are sold. You can also find the book free to press. I'm Brian Karam. Listen, thanks a lot for joining us. We will catch you next week. Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode Al. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off.